This week on Theology for the People, I interview my friend Connor Berry from Santa Maria, California, and we respond to a question that came in from one of our listeners, which was about fasting. Did you know that if you have a question that you'd like me to address on the show, maybe an idea for a future episode, you can submit that over at nickkady.org. And there's a form there where you can fill in ideas for future blog posts or podcast episodes. I always enjoy hearing from you and hearing the things that you really want to learn about. And so in this episode, we talk about fasting and I can't wait for you to listen to it. I'll be back at the end with a little bit more information. Hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome to Theology for the People. This is Pastor Nick Katie. I'm joined today by Pastor Connor Berry from Santa Maria, California. Hey, Connor. Hey, Nick. How you doing, man? Good. Hey, I'm glad to have you on. I had a request from a listener a while back asking me if I knew any resources or if I had any episodes about fasting. And I'm like, I don't. And I'm going to think about and pray about like, who is the person who would be good for that? And then I was like, oh, I, I remember just the other day thinking to myself, I should talk to Connor. So I appreciate you taking me up on it. Oh man, I'm just, I'm blessed and encouraged. You are, you are such a wise man. <laughs> in, in our friendship. And I'm thankful for that. And I just recently taught on fasting. And so obviously that was a, a work of the spirit. So thankful for that. Well, cool. Hey, Connor, could you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and about your ministry? Yeah. So I am the pastor of Calvary Chapel, Santa Maria. I'm the lead pastor of Calvary Chapel, Santa Maria as of three weeks ago. We've been in a three-year transition plan and it was finalized on Palm Sunday. And uh, this has been my home church and for since I was a kid. And I was a missionary in Western Europe for about eight years. And then last seven years moved back to the States and now pastoring here. So it's been a blessing up to this point. And yeah, it's been, it's been a trip. That's cool. So yeah, tell us a little bit about your time as a missionary. Yeah. So back in 2005, I had the opportunity to be part of kind of a post-Bible college biblical teaching internship with Calvary Chapel Bible College in Siegen, Germany. So what I initially thought was going to be about four months eventually turned into four years there, being the dean of men, teaching some, some classes on different books of the Bible. But then out of that, we did a evangelism uh, week out in Bristol, England. And what stemmed out of that was we started a church plant there back in 2010. So we were there from 2010 to 2015, planting uh, a church there in Bristol. And it's going it's going well by God's grace and mercy. It's continuing. Uh, we moved back to the States and like I said, 2015 and came back to our home church and been pastoring there. So yeah. that's cool. Yeah. I mean, Bristol was a big place for John Wesley preaching. Isn't that right? Oh, absolutely. Like it is, Bristol is one of those, oh gosh, sacred cities as far as church history is concerned, not only with George Whitfield, but with John Wesley, George Mueller had his orphanages there. Right. Yeah. You could, you could easily easily spend uh, a few months diving into the church history represented at the Bristol. And uh, so it's amazing even more for the fact of it desperately needing the gospel being preached in that city, mm -hmm. not only there, but in all of the United Kingdom. So that's yeah. cool. And you know, I think you know this, but I did my undergrad in Gloucester, just up the road from Bristol. Did you? That's right. Did yeah. you ever make it out to Gloucester? 
I made it out to Gloucester. Yeah, yeah, to see the cathedral up there. Yeah. It's a beautiful city. It's a beautiful yeah. city. And the school is yeah. based actually out of the cathedral. And so, did you ever no make way. it to, yeah, did you ever make it to Cheltenham? I don't know if I made it to Cheltenham. No, I don't know. Yeah, uh -uh. so it's like a sister city, but it's a, it's a spa town in, in the west okay. of England. So, you know, the spa towns in England are always really posh and nice. And yeah, so, similar to Bath then probably. And... Yeah, and you know, like similar Harrogate up north. And so mm -hmm. just, you know, kind of a nicer place. And so... That's my graduation was in Cheltenham at the uh, horse racing track. So it was, it was uh, nice British posh and awesome. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> so that's, that's a little bit of our relationship. We've, we've known each other for a few years. We like notebooks, yeah. we like pens, good stuff. Yes. But um, yeah. today we're here to talk about fasting. And, yeah. you know, I thought that I, the reason you came to mind as somebody to talk to about this, I didn't know that you had recently taught on this, but I knew that you're somebody who cares about uh, spiritual disciplines. And I thought, you know, you probably have some thoughts on this. So I just want to share this opening story that I, years back, right? This is like mid 2000s. I remember sometimes as a missionary, I would come back to the US and churches would say, hey, feel free to just browse our bookstore and whatever you want, just take it and we'll comp it, right? So I was looking through a church bookstore one day and I saw this book called A Hunger for God by John Piper. And I thought, oh, that sounds like a great title. I want to have a hunger for God. So this is like back in the day when you used to just like pick up books and buy them and not know what they were going to be about. I guess I could have read the cover, but I didn't. I just grabbed it <laughs> and said, this looks like a good book. And then I got home and then I looked at the subtitle and the subtitle says, Desiring God Through Fasting. And I was like, oh, great. This is, <laughs> this is not what I thought. So I was yeah. really disappointed. I'm like, I don't want to read about that. That sounds like a bummer. So I, I put it on my shelf and I never read the book until wow. yesterday. I read the whole thing in one day wow. because I knew that we were going to talk about it. So that's yeah. my, that's how, that's why I don't feel like I can really talk about this on my own because yes, I, now I know a few things since I read this book right. and I've done fasting, but I don't feel like an expert by any means. Right. I mean, isn't it interesting that, that we might feel pretty, pretty well-versed in certain spiritual disciplines, like we love to pray or we love to take part in the church calendar. We love to worship God. But when it comes to fasting, it's always kind of like, oh, I want to keep it at arm's length to some, to some degree, whether that's experiential or whether that's just some amount of, of, of fear or intimidation, you know, based on that practice. My, my, I have a little bit of a background with fasting in that sense where I remember my first experience with fasting, I was probably six or seven years old and I grew up in a, in a pastor's home. And so I remember specifically my dad preaching from the pulpit that we're going to go into a season of corporate fasting. Mm. And I was like, that's great. I, that, that's wonderful. But since I'm seven, that's not going to be me. And, and, and I remember having a conversation with my parents being like, no, we're, we're all doing this together. And, and so we spent five days and for a seven-year-old, eight-year-old, who's just trying to kind of grasp some of the stuff, I just like, I did not understand, like, why are we suffering for this particular moment? But the promise, the promise that was given to me by my parents is like, if you can make it through this, we'll take you to Sizzler. 
<laughs> the, the restaurant with the salad bar. And so what, when that happened, that became my predominant focus was not upon the Lord anymore. <laughs> was after the end of this, these five days, we get to go to Sizzler. And so wow. that was the, the encompassment of, of my understanding of fasting was we're doing this, not just for the Lord, but, but we, we get to feast and eat afterwards. So not exactly the best, the best scriptural or biblical start to what fasting is all about, but <laughs> anyway, <laughs> well, let's, let's start there. What is the purpose of fasting? Why are we instructed to do it? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I, I'm I'm teaching through the Sermon on the Mount right now with with my church. And so what's what's compelling is when you read the Sermon on the Mount, you, you realize that this is this is what Jesus' address is for the new citizens of his kingdom. And so he goes through the Beatitudes, he go, he goes through this understanding of who we are as citizens in the kingdom of God as family members within his family. And then he moves into three common Jewish practices that are brought into light and kind of brought into a new vitality with him in mind as being the origin. And those three practices are giving and charity of prayer. And that's this is where we get the Lord's prayer in Matthew six, but then he gets into fasting. And, and so it, it's on a, automatically a, a thought for us that, yeah, we give as a church, that's a common practice. We pray, that's a common practice. But when it comes to fasting, why does that become a difficulty? And so when you bring the question up, what is fasting and how do we do it? We have to, we have to think that Jesus didn't necessarily give us a three or four step method to fasting. He's more concerned about the posture hmm. of how we fast, especially in Matthew chapter six, the posture and the motivation behind why we fast. And so. If he's speaking to Jewish people and maybe a smatterings of Greek, uh, 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 Greek people up in, up in Galilee, obviously he's referencing back to the Old Testament of what fasting is, because they would at least have some sort of, of recollection of what that is. And so the predominant activity of fasting that we find in the Old Testament is, of course, in Leviticus with the Day of Atonement with Yom Kippur, where the 10th day of the seventh month after Rosh Hashanah, you would have the day of atonement. And in Leviticus, I believe, I believe it's chapter 23, uh, it says that they would have these sacred assemblies, these feasts. But in 23, it says, on this day, you were going to practice self-denial. And even that, that doesn't, you know, what does that mean? Practicing self-denial. Um, and yet what becomes traditional practice is that they spend from uh, sundown to sundown, 25 hours of not eating or drinking in order to, in order to desire this sacred moment of the tangible presence of God, as they are seeking repentance, forgiveness for their sins. And so that's at least the, the foundational part of corporate fasting that we see in the old Testament that Jesus, I think is referencing there in, in the sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter six. And do you think that then as new new citizens of the kingdom, therefore, do you think that Jesus gives new meaning to fasting or do you think that he gives us a new reason for fasting? What do you think about that? Yeah, I do. I, I, I think so because here is Jesus, the son of God in the flesh, standing before them. And it, we see in the, in the scriptures that he says, you know, the kingdom is here because I'm here. 
And so if it's to mean this being a citizen of the kingdom of God is meaning that you're in his presence and you're, you're living for him. It's this utter devotion to the Lord that you see all throughout the Sermon on the Mount. Um, and Jesus does. He brings fulfillment to what of all these Old Testament feasts are all about, and especially, especially particularly with Yom Kippur and the Day of Atonement. And so I think, I think particularly what we discover with this new understanding of fasting is that you have the corporate fasting of the Jewish people in the Old Testament, and then you find that there's corporate and individual fasting when there is this, this like your book title <laughs> shares, there's this intense desire for the presence of God to show up in a particular moment and in a particular circumstance. And so you can encounter this all over the place. You think about the book of Esther with Mordecai and the Jewish community, when they're facing, when they're facing genocide, they are, they go to fasting because it is this particularly, this particular moment, the specific moment of, we need the presence of God, not only uh, in this situation, but in our midst so that, so that we not only know what to do, but we know who we are and we know who he is in this, in, in the midst of this whole thing. Hmm. Yeah, I read this book and I got a lot of really good nuggets out of it, which I'll share here in just a minute. But I know that you also had mentioned a book that you read on the topic of fasting. Could you tell us about that? Yeah, I mean, to me, it is is one of the one of the best works. It's by Scott McKnight. It's called Fast. It's from a series called the Ancient Practices series. I've read a couple of the other ones, and they they're not that great <laughs> in my in my personal perspective like the 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 best one out of this is is scott mcknight's book on fasting and 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 so what i think he does in that is that he produces a definition of fasting that i think encompasses not only the corporate fasting of the old testament the individual fasting of the prophets or the leaders within the old testament that find themselves in these particular situations but continues on even throughout church history, the, how, how the church has used fasting into, into a good, a good definition. I don't know if you want me to, 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 to bring that forward. Sure. Um, yeah. So he says this, and, and this has kind of become my, my definition for it. I've, I've stolen it from, from McKnight. And he says, fasting is the natural, inevitable response of a person to a grievous sacred moment in life. Hmm. And, and, and so for me, I think that that runs the gambit of the need for fasting to show up as a common practice, as a common activity, not only individually, but corporately for the church today in the kingdom of God. Hmm. Yeah. John uh, Piper. So he, always, he has this saying that runs throughout his book where he says the birthplace of Christian fasting is homesickness for God. And he yeah. points out this really important passage where Jesus is talking. He answers the question, right? People came to him and they said, why don't your disciples fast? And he said, well, nobody fasts during a wedding feast. You fast. But he says, the time is coming when the bridegroom will go away and then my disciples will fast. And so John yeah. Piper is looking at that and saying, well, that's the time we live in right now. The time after Jesus' first coming and his ascension and before his second coming. And so it makes sense that we would fast now, but let's talk about this. Like, how does it work? How does it benefit us? Are mm. there different views on how and why it works or what the purpose is? What, what are some of the predominant views out there on this topic? Hmm. Well, I, I think that, that 
the motivations behind fasting throughout church history has kind of then imposed upon the practice of it. Um, and so you, you can see in, in McKnight's book, if you read it, that he kind of he kind of goes through church history as some way of of the practices of it, where he begins with the in early church history that there was the sacred rhythms of the church calendar. So we have Lent, for instance, as an example of fasting in preparation for uh, mourning over sin, but then but then culminating that fast or climaxing that fast with the feasting and thankfulness of God's grace in our lives. So that's that that can be that can be a practice that's even done today. You know, secondly, as an individual, it could be you know, a desire, it's been used in church history as a means of gaining victory over temptation. I know that Augustine, he says, sometimes it's necessary simply to just check the delight of our flesh. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we, we find ourselves in a particular position of delighting in our flesh and we want to move and realize, okay, this is a grievous moment for me. So I'm going to fast in order to bring the presence of God into this particular situation that I might gain. And then you move into, you know, later in the 1500s, there's the rise of Protestantism with Luther and, and it becomes somewhat of a change where fasting becomes this desire of inner resolution, almost like a crisis moment of sanctification, you know, where I have a quote from Andrew Murray, where he's like, fasting helps us to express, to deepen, and to confirm the resolution that we are ready to sacrifice anything, even ourselves, to attain the kingdom of God. So it's this hunger, not only for the presence of God, but also for sanctification and holiness in order to be that proven example of a citizen in the kingdom of God. And then, and then I would even say in modern context, John Piper has a great, has a great definition from that, where that whole body hunger for Jesus, not just a spiritual hunger, but I want my physical body to take part for that hunger of Jesus also. And so I'm going to move into a practice of a, of a limited set of time for me to not eat in order that my physical body would represent also the spiritual longing and the hunger for God. So he says that, you know, I, I want to say it with the hunger of my body, not just the hunger of my heart that Mm -hmm. I just want to be in the presence of God. So those are all practices that have happened in church history that are probably even done today. And I would say those aren't necessarily wrong, but, but what can kind of happen, I think, as a side effect that isn't the best is that A, maybe A, I have this particular need, uh, B, my response is fasting in order that I get result C. Right. I, I, I've done that before in my life. I don't know if you've done that before in your life where you're like, hey, I'm in this particular need or petition before God. I need this to happen. So I'm going to fast in this particular situation in order to see that a result comes where that's not necessarily what we see in the case with scripture. Fasting is, is solely almost predominantly for the presence of God and him alone. And then my perspective on the circumstance changes. Whether the circumstances changes or not, I, I know that God is in the midst of my circumstance, and therefore that changes my perspective on everything. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that 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 is almost a more scriptural defense of of what fasting should be. Mm-hmm. It changes my my viewpoint, my singular focus, rather than what's going on around me. Yeah, and I like one of the things Piper says, where he says. Um, Here, I'll just read a quick quote. If you don't feel strong desires for the manifestation of the glory of God, it is because you have nibbled so long at the table of the world 
Your soul is wow. stuffed with small things, and there is no room for the great. So he's saying wow. that fasting is a way to cultivate, uh, I guess, a weaning yourself off of you know things of this world to create space for and create, yeah. cultivate a desire, greater desire for God. I thought that was really good. Now, I got a few questions for you. Here's one. Okay, Jesus talks about this with, you remember his disciples had gone out and they had been unable to cast out some demons. And Jesus says, this one mm. only comes out through prayer and fasting. Mm. And essentially what he's insinuating is that they should have been praying and fasting up until this point. And it seems mm. that there's some kind of spiritual strength or effectiveness that is tied to the practice of prayer and fasting. So that's that's the one question. Is that the case? And the other question mm. is, is fasting a tool for prayer or does it can it work independent of prayer? Is it always linked to prayer? Mm. Any thoughts on those? Mm. Well, just to begin quickly, yeah, it, I mean, I think fasting has its vitality in prayer. It's, it's this praying without ceasing in the midst of this. But, you know, I am, I'm a pastor. I'm not a textual critic, but that those two words in that particular section of this demon does not come out without prayer and fasting the and fasting is not in the earliest the earliest manuscripts i believe of of the text it's it's added later on so so for instance the 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 english standard version doesn't have that in in either the Matthew portion or the Mark portion doesn't have the and fasting portion it has the prayer it says this demon does not come out without prayer but it doesn't have the end fasting. The Christian Standard Bible doesn't have that either, based upon based upon their their results of textual criticism. And so I don't know if I would particularly use that as an instrument, you know, of saying, you know, this sort of bodily discipline brings about and that expected result. However, fasting, could fasting help with that? Absolutely. In the sense that I want the enlivened presence of God in my life in this particular moment. And so I'm responding to this need of spiritual warfare, of, of intense difficulty in the midst of this person or this life that I have, I have relationship with. And yeah, I would, I would automatically say what, what's, what's so practical in this is that when we, when we refuse food, we're brought into this feeling of physical hunger and that automatically becomes this resonance of reminding myself that I am in need of being in communication with the Lord. And so this feeling of physical hunger demands or just is a constant notification to say, okay, this is why, why am I doing this? I'm, I'm responding to this moment of, of need, of petition before God, whether it's any amount of suffering whether it's any need for wisdom, whatever whatever the desire or petition would be, I need the Lord to be in in the midst of this. And so, of course, I'm going to be communicating with God this entire time through prayer while I am engaging in the physical, the physical activity of of fasting. Yeah, that's good. I just quickly looking at what our friend David Guzik had to say about prayer and fasting, and he says oh, yeah. that the the reason these two are linked together in regard to that passage, which I really appreciate you pointing out that that may not have been in the original manuscripts. That's really important to yeah. understand. But he he adds just a few thoughts. He says that prayer and fasting would demonstrate and in some cases create 
a greater appreciation of the strength of the demonic world, a greater dependence mm. upon God, and mm. a greater desire to fight and sacrifice for the sake of deliverance. I thought those are some pretty good mm. points. Oh, absolutely. I, I, I would never disagree with David. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I love that guy very much. Yeah. Yeah. And, and to me, that all comes under that threshold of, of this, this desire for presence of God in the midst of this, of this situation. And I mean, even taking it from, from the perspective or the, the historical context with Jesus, or even in the old Testament, like fasting for them held a much greater sacrifice than it does for us in the modern, uh, in the modern context because of, of just simply lack of food in a, in a lot of ways and the ability to say, you know what, I'm actually sacrificing while bringing it to this modern context where we have every accessibility to any food that we want at any time with with the fast answer rate <laughs> to to any desire for satisfaction it brings about it brings about in us even more of a temptation to or more of an opportunity to say i can push all of these things off in order that, that, that i could be in the presence of god in this particular way and hear a response from the lord in this particular way yeah, and it, it is interesting, right, that Jesus, right after his baptism, he goes out into the wilderness, and as he's fasting, he's tempted and tested. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. at, in response to one of the temptations, which is to create uh, bread out of the rocks, mm -hmm. Jesus says, you know, he quotes from Deuteronomy, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that, word that comes forth from the mouth of God. And I think that that is so fundamental for us as our ontology, like who we are fundamentally as human beings. Like mm. that, that's another thing that I think fasting really brings about is that you understand that, hey, I am not just a body who happens to have a brain and maybe a soul mm. that will live forever, but I'm an integrated mm. being and I don't just, I am not a slave to my, I exist for so much more than just mm. survival and, and eating food and the base things of, of my body. Mm, I absolutely agree with that. Also, I mean, you can connect that to even the other two common practices in the Sermon on the Mount of prayer and of charity and giving, you know, in so much of our giving of our offerings before the Lord, our finances, we're saying not only we are not the origin point <laughs> of any of these gifts or finances, we are the stewards that God God is the origin point of that. And in a way we're saying, you know, mammon or money is not our idol mm -hmm. and therefore we can give freely mm -hmm. as, as an act of worship before the Lord. Same sort of thing, you know, with fasting is like, I can put food aside to say, this is not, this is not an idol for me or even more, who is the one that is raised above all of these other things, the very word of God that he will exalt even above his own name. You know what I mean? Yeah. So. And one, I mean, that ties into what Paul says there in, uh, was it, is it first Corinthians chapter nine, where he says, I beat my mm. body and make it my slave. So I may not be disqualified. Mm. I think yeah. that if we're going to understand what he's saying, what he's saying is I am fundamentally not, I am not, first of all, and I, nor will I allow myself to be a slave to my physical desires. Rather, I will bring my body. I'll make my body my own slave. It will serve me and the purposes and the calling that God has placed on me rather than me just slavishly following my bodily desires. Oh yeah. I mean, I, I love that because I also love that 
that we're having a, a participation of both body and spirit, right? We're not just, we're not just transcendental spirits that only have to want to have a desire for the spiritual realm, but even the physical, even the physical realm of our own physical bodies can be brought under discipline as a means of engaging with God. And also, also in the beauty of recognizing and putting on flesh and dwelling among, among us, he's the only one, he's the only God that I know that has hungered <laughs> like I have oh, hungered wow. in the yeah. past. You know what I mean? And, and he's the only one that I know if he's fulfilled all the law, has gone through what I've gone through and uh, faced every temptation yet has been perfect in that. And so, yeah, absolutely. Why, why shouldn't I, why, why shouldn't I put myself under a discipline as a means of, of, pre of desiring and hungering presence with God? Now in the passage you recently taught on the Sermon on the Mount, yeah. There yeah. is a place in there where Jesus talks about the reward that comes as a result of mm. fasting, right? Because he mm. says, make sure that when you fast, you don't do it like the hypocrites who do it to put mm. on a show, but you do it yeah. to your father who sees in secret <laughs> because he will give you your reward. So mm. yeah, just let's talk for a minute about what the reward of fasting is. Mm. Yeah, well, that reward is offered by Jesus uh, to these new prospective new citizens of the kingdom, not just there, but it's predominantly all throughout the Sermon on the Mount. Through giving, through through prayer, and those practices, even previously, you have over and over and over again through chapter 5 and, and through chapter 6 specifically, this intense focus on relationship with them and how Jesus is saying, like, what I am offering you in the citizenship is accessibility not just corporately as the nation of Israel to say that God is our father, but individually even, uh, and even to be as bold to say, even non-Jewish people <laughs> are able to cry out, Abba, Father, and have this relationship with him. This reward, it, it, as far as as far as I can, I can speculate or understand on it, is simply this intimacy and honor that the father gives to those that have given their lives to the utter devotion of God. And that's what Jesus is really presenting here is he's taking these practices and he's removing because all of us, uh, well, let me take a step back. Because we've been created in the image of God, we have the, the fallen capacity of taking anything in, and making it uh, a God in and of itself. And so even, even good spiritual practices. And so when he's talking about giving, he's talk, when he's talking about prayer, he's like, don't do this as a means of show so that you get the human reward of reputation and accolades, but that you would do it in secret so that the Father would reward you in secret. So there is going to be a future time when we stand before the Lord and, and we will be given account for what we have done, but not only what we have done, but the motives behind, be, behind of what we have done and doing it in secret. Um, and the Father will reward you, I see as simply the 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 response of God, the father to a person that's given themselves utterly devoted, mm -hmm. utterly devoted to the Lord. What's that's going to look like practically or, or physically? Is it going to be like that crown that we ultimately throw before, before the, before the ground, before his throne? I'm not, I'm not entirely sure, but, but the reward will be tangible and it will be, will be something that, that we, we are going to want definitely. Yeah. Yeah, you know, it's interesting in Hebrews chapter 11, I've always found this really compelling that it talks about how God is the rewarder of those who diligently mm. seek him. 
Mm. And as you go through the passages that talk about what the reward is of faith, Mm. Mm. what you come is that the reward of faith is actually relationship with God, right? It's and, and getting Mm. to be part of, like you said, getting to be part of what he's doing in the world Mm. and that, you know, and I think that's really cool because it it means that it kind of changes what our motives and what our goals ought to be. And I think that that changes, of course, as we grow in relationship with God, we're transformed, our desires are transformed, and then we end up getting this reward, which, which we might not have treasured until that point of like when we were transformed into somebody who, who desires that. Absolutely. Yeah. It's a lot better than a dinner at Sizzler, right? <laughs> After <laughs> it's going to have, it's going to have eternal consequence. And, uh, and I love that because when you look at, when you look at Hebrews 11, you know, that, that every single one of these people were sinners, but they simply responded in faith with obedience to God because of their relationship with the Lord. And so that's what I want to be, you know, that's what, just to be continually devoted, devoted to God and, and to respond by faith in what he calls us to do. <clears throat> All right, so let's shift and talk for this last little bit about like practicalities. Okay, so mm. I realize that there's no like hard, fast rules given to us in the Bible, but just give mm. me your opinion for what it's worth on yeah. topics like how long should you fast in order for mm. it to have its benefit? From mm. what? I mean, is there such a thing? Like sometimes you'll get people like fasting from things like I'm going to fast from, you know, cycling. And it turns out I mm. never really was that into cycling anyway, right? Like, yeah. So like, w- can you fast from other things? Is it food always? Mm. Yeah. Mm. Walk us through some of those practicalities. How, how often, how long, from what? Mm. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess I'm going to be more prescriptive in this uh, as maybe if someone were to come into my office and say, you know, Pastor Connor, what would you say? Because, you know, I... I have a I have an uncle who his name is Lou Engel. He is large in Pentecostal circles as being a man of fasting and he does consistently 40-day fasts from food and so um if someone came to me and said, "Hey, should should we be like your uncle Lou and do 40 days of no eating and only only water or like some sort of broth or some something to that degree?" I don't know, you know, my this is, this is how I, we see prescriptive, like in the Old Testament, they did it for 25 hours, 25 hours of no eating from sundown to sundown. And, and, and I find that to be, to be at least a healthy start and, in being led to the beginning of fasting, especially if you've never fasted before to take 25 hours to say, okay, all I'm going to do is drink water from sundown to sundown. It helps you ease into it because at least I would say at least eight of those hours are going to be spent sleeping, (laughs) you know, and you're going to awaken, at least for me, you're going to wake up and right in the morning, you're going to be hungry and you're going to have a desire to break your fast. And it already presents to you this activity of hunger for God. And so you wake up with this tangible desire to be with the Lord and you commit that time of 25 hours with him. And then in, in such a beautiful spiritual rhythm, you see the sun going down and you come to this culmination of response to before the Lord of saying, you know, I've taken this time of being in prayer with you. And now that the sun is going down, I can break this fast 
as also a response to in in thanking him for what he's done and accomplished in this moment and to know the presence of God not only in my hunger but also in the satiation of my hunger and saying that 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 comes right right from him in all of these things and so I guess that would be my 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 start to that my my response to that if you want to go long that would be that would be someone's prerogative but what I would almost rather have is in my life at least is to have these consistent throughout the years, maybe 25 hours of fasting rather than a week of fasting one time a year. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. In the sense, I am making the activity of fasting a common practice within my life that is continuing with the giving and the prayer that is a that Jesus is calling me to. Because when you see in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus doesn't say, if you fast, he says, when you fast. So it is this desire of common practice. And so I would rather say, you know what, maybe once a month, I, I'm going to take once a month to take 25 hours because either as a response to a grievous moment in my life or a sacred moment in my life, or just like Piper, I have this, I, I want more of the Lord. I have this intense hunger and desire for God in my life to crucify the flesh in a particular way. And so at least for that, that, that that's what I would say to begin as far as practical measures for taking for fasting. Yeah. And I can just think and see through times when I've done it and, and just even theoretically, you know, taking 25 hours to say, Hey, you know, maybe there's something that's just heavy on your heart and you're like, I really need to pray mm. about this, but there's just so much, you know, I always keep telling myself, yeah, you ought to pray more. I'm just going to take 25 hours, dedicate it to this. And because I've set aside that time, it's like in the forefront of my mind that this is what this time is dedicated to in the midst of everything else I'm doing. I'm focused on praying about this issue or about this yeah. thing and, and seeking the Lord in the midst of it. It seems like, yeah, really powerful. Yeah. And, and I, I think that's another point that John Piper makes is that this is a, a gift, a practice that God has given to us yeah. and it's for our yeah. good. And I think that's a, that's an important point. And one, one last thing I'll point yeah. out, just kind of, this is the junk drawer portion, I think, because just <laughs> trying to remember yeah. all the extra things uh, he, no, he points out that Fasting doesn't mean that we think that food is bad. Mm. What it means is that food is very good. God could have created people mm. who didn't need to eat. Um, mm. And even Paul warns, he says, watch out for those who will come and they'll forbid eatings of certain foods. Right. And that's not what this is. This is not willpower religion. This is not some denying the goodness of food. It's actually us saying food's mm. very good. And yet we realize that uh, it's important to sometimes prioritize the things of God yeah. over that and actually willingly deny ourselves. So. Mm. Amen. Amen. Yeah. I, I mean, even looking at it from, a from, uh, the perspective of, I love my, one of my favorite verses, one of my life verses <laughs> is Isaiah 25, six, where it's the future marriage supper of the lamb, where it says on this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food a feast of well-aged wine, uh, of rich food full of marrow, like we're going to suck the marrow, you know, and of well-aged wine. And, and uh, as, as this culmination of it, of the entrance into his kingdom. And, and I just love that idea that there's going to come a day where, where there, there won't be a need to fast mm -hmm. because it'll be endless feasting with the Lord. Uh, because we will always be in his presence. We will be never leave his presence. He will always be with us not just spiritually, but physically and tangibly, because we'll be in the new heavens and the new earth. And so I look forward to that day 
But while in this present moment, I'm going to fast in, in, in hunger and desire for his presence in this moment. So I love that passage in Isaiah. And um, yeah, I was just going to ask you about that. Oh, and I forgot. Oh, yeah, this is what I was going to ask you. Have you ever eaten bone marrow? You know what? I have. And oh, actually, so my wife and I, we just went in on buying a whole side of a cow. Mm. We have a family, we're a family of six. We find, we found out the rising price, price of beef. It was more conducive to us to buy well, green, pasture raised, uh, grass fed, grass finished beef. But they gave us the femur bones cut lengthwise. And so we're able to actually literally suck the marrow. Wow. <laughs> What'd you think? Do you like it? I love it. Yeah. 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 I am that type of person. Like I have a beard. I'm that type of person that, that has no problem with just the fat running down the beard, <laughs> you know, but as a, as a response to the goodness of God and what he has given us, we love feasting there you go. in that way. So, okay. Yeah. Connor, final question. If you yes, were sir. to recommend a church in Cork, Ireland, which church would you recommend? Oh man. You know what? There's one church in Cork, Ireland that I would recommend, and that would be Calvary Cork from Pastor Mike Neglia. Have you ever been I there? love that man. I have been there a, a few times. Yeah, I've been there a few times. I Probably though, the last time I was there was maybe 2007. Okay. So it's almost been 15 That's years. That's a long time. We did evangelism once on St. Patrick's Day in Cork, Ireland. And that was, that was a beautiful day. That's cool. So, I was in Cork yeah. once and... I didn't see Mike or go to Calvary Cork, though I, I wanted to. Well, I was there in the middle of the week. Mike was okay. out of town, so I stayed in Mike's house. I slept in Mike's bed, and, nice. <laughs> and but I didn't see Mike. But it was funny because oh, I, I had seen him like right beforehand and right afterwards Oh wow. in the U.S. Yeah. So, okay. yeah. So. Yeah. You know, Cork, Ireland is beautiful, but it's even more beautiful when Mike Neglia is in Cork, Ireland. I want to see it again when he's when he's in Ireland. So, okay. Yeah, thanks for uh, letting me ask you about Cork. And Connor, maybe just let's just finish this up. Could you pray for our listeners in regard to this oh, topic? Absolutely. And then we'll let you go. Yes. Yeah. So Lord, we are, we're so thankful that you give us every opportunity to be drawn into your presence. We're so thankful that, that even in our, we can find, we can find the means by which we know you more intimately. And in doing that, Lord, we ask that you would give us the grace to be able to, to, to fast, Lord. We ask for not only to know that your faithfulness to us is, is so above and beyond our own, but that in fasting, we would know even more intimately how good you are, how much you love us, and how you are leading us even into more holiness as we grow and live in you. And so, Lord, we pray that you would do this upon your people, work in us even into the day of salvation. And so, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Connor. Yeah, bro. Thank you, Nick. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Theology for the People. If you haven't done so yet, it would be a great honor to me if you would leave a rating and review on your podcast app. I would also love it if you check out my website, nickkady.org, and on there you can find information about the book I recently wrote. It has now been out for two months, and the response has been great. So if you haven't yet read that, or if you're just now hearing about it, please go check that out. It's called The God I Won't Believe In, 
Facing Nine Common Barriers to Embracing Christianity. So please check that out on my website, nickkd.org, or you can check it out on Amazon as well. I'll be with you again next week with an interview with Dominic Doan. Really looking forward to talking to him. Dominic has a new book out as of April, and I can't wait to hear more about that from him. So make sure to stay tuned for that episode next week. If you haven't yet done so, make sure to subscribe to the podcast. I'll be with you again soon. God bless. 